I, I really want to just thank you all for yeah, putting up with me for the last couple of weeks. I, this is the first time I've spoken in front of this many people for this long. <laughs> really just thank you so much for yeah, just being just willing listeners and uh, not jumping to conclusions too fast, hopefully. And just it's, You guys are such a good audience, such a good group to talk to. So just thank you for that. Uh, discipleship. Discipleship, if you would have asked me a year ago or even two years ago what that looked like, I wouldn't have had a clue. I probably could have given you a definition. But this this last year or so, God has driven this point home with me in a way that I, I would have never guessed. And this last uh, school year down in Missouri, I had an opportunity to disciple a man who just came out of really difficult background and came to know the Lord and and just we met twice a week for the whole school year, just going through scripture and going through life together. And man, I think I grew more than he did, but he grew so, so much. It's 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 amazing. And we're gonna. I'm going to reference back to this last year a couple times uh, as we go throughout this, but uh, I was looking at the order of things today, and I think the best way to do it is to go, we'll recap the last four weeks and hopefully conclude it all by going through discipleship, going through what discipleship looks like, and then move into a conclusion. So the last four weeks, if you guys were here, the first week we were together four weeks ago, we looked at this question primarily. It, it may have been a redundant question to ask, but one I think is worth going over, over and over again, and always bringing back to the front of our minds. It's like, is our gospel, the gospel message that we all believe and trust in for eternal life, is it exclusive? We talked about how there are billions of people around the world who believe thousands and thousands of different belief systems and believe different ideals and who are we to claim that this is true that this gospel that Jesus Christ is the only way to God like to the rest of the world this is this is arrogance this, this is absolutely utterly arrogant to claim that we have the truth and it would be if it wasn't true but if the gospel message is true and is the only way to God. If God is God and God is who he claims to be and Jesus is who he claims to be, then this has profound effects on us and our lives and all the people around the world, everyone, everyone, all those people in India, in Africa, or right here in North America. It has profound ramifications for all of our lives, everyone's lives. So that's what we looked at the first week. Second week, we it was the week where we had technical problems and <laughs> couldn't get the PowerPoints to work. But we looked at a bunch of different maps and looked at the state of the gospel around the world. If you looked at the last slide carefully, and then this slide, you notice that they're different. Last one said 41% of the world is unreached, and it said conservatively. This is the numbers that the IMB puts together. It's about 58% of the world would be classified as unreached. 
And what that means is less than 2% evangelical Christian. Chances are you would, if you were in one of these unreached places, you would go your whole life and never hear the name of Jesus. And even if you did hear the name of Jesus, the chances that you would have an accurate gospel message given to you are very slim. You probably live your whole life and could easily die without ever hearing the gospel. So, and 58% of the world would fall into that category, uh, approximately. So between 41 and 58%, all depends on how you look at the numbers. So, and this is, we, we talked about how these are lives. That's 4.3 billion people. It's not just a number. It's families. Whole whole families, whole family trees all the way back thousands of years and friends, co-workers, people that love each other. And that's what this number reflects. It's not just a number. It's, It's a lot of people. A lot of individuals. Later that week, uh, second weekend, looked at syncretism and bring one gospel, one belief system and bring the gospel message in or any other belief system for that matter and mixing them together. And the big thing we talked about is recognizing that pot is full. Everyone, everyone has their own unique ideas, unique beliefs, unique life situations that have influenced how they shape their thinking, and how they think about life, how they perceive reality. And what it's, if you're not careful, you bring in the gospel message and it just gets mixed in. You get this hybrid thing coming out that's a mixture between the gospel and what was already there. We looked at a couple different examples. If you guys remember this slide, this was a Santa Murte. I don't know. If you weren't here, this might not mean a lot to you, but this is a festival that they have down in Mexico and yeah all the way down into South America it's a very large belief system and what happened is the the Catholics came in and they mixed their original traditional beliefs right in with the, the gospel message the Catholic message of the gospel and got this hybrid where they basically worship this mother of death this holy mother of death and if you look at the slide there, the big picture on the left, you have Jesus on the cross and you have, on both sides, you have almost looks like a grim reaper, a female grim reaper. And then if you look carefully right at his feet, that's another Santa Muerte in like a wedding dress at Jesus' feet. You know, we wonder, how does this happen? You know, it's, how this happens is the gospel message comes in and it's just mixed in. And if it's not done carefully, if, it's, if they do not see God as the creator of the universe, the creator of every spirit and of them, then they do not see God as the sovereign creator of everything, then this will happen. He's just another spirit to be appeased, just another spirit to mix in with the belief system that's already there. So we went to looking at some dangers in our own in our own lives right here in this country and how it's easy to mix in patriotism mix in like look at the the shirt there you have America Jesus freedom like 
These things aren't bad. Freedom is great. Freedom is awesome. Being an American is amazing. Like, it is an amazing blessing from God to be here in America and to be an American and to have freedom where so many people around the world don't. But the danger is that we'll take that and we'll mix it right in with the gospel. And, the, and we do not see God as the foundation, the sovereign God, the creator of everything. And everything flows flowing out of that. So as we consider what it looks like to be an American, like we looked at the potential for this to happen in our own lives. Are we, I think the phrase I said was, are we Americans who are Christians, Americans who happen to be Christians, or Christians who happen to be Americans? I think that's a question we should ask ourselves periodically, monthly, yearly, like, what's the foundation? So, that's what we looked at the second week. Last week, we looked at evangelism. We looked at what does it look like to take the gospel message and to, to bring it into this pot, this mixture of ideas, this unique person. Everyone has their own unique set of ideals, their own unique way of viewing the world. And what does it look like to bring the gospel message into this? One of the big points that we emphasize is, man, it's a miracle when anyone gets saved. It's not something that we do by our own strengths or by some method of, a method of words, I guess, or sequence of words that we could put together in some miraculous way. It's, it's the Holy Spirit working in people's lives that help this truth just click and they believe the gospel message. So evangelism, if, we, if you remember that scale up in the corner, if you were here last week, we don't want to be too bold, too offensive. The street preacher on the corner screaming, fire and brimstone. But at the same time, we don't want to be on the other side too timid and just never talk to people, never want to offend people, never want to stir the water, never want to stir the pot, but just go through our lives and just be too timid. We don't want to offend, so we never talk about the gospel. So we want to, we want to be relevant in our witness. We want to find that balance. That's what we talked about last week with evangelism. So let's move to discipleship. Discipleship is the result of evangelism. After you have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone and they come to Christ, then they have an opportunity to grow in their faith. I could, I could get ahead of myself really easily here. Again, we have the Holy Spirit that's already there working in their heart to some extent ahead of time. And then, now someone's saved. Evangelism has taken place. They've believed the gospel message. The gospel is in there to some extent. Enough for them to be saved. Enough for them to have faith in Christ. And one thing to point out is the Holy Spirit's there in a very active way now. Something just happened in their lives. When, when you got saved, something happened. There's this war that started between the flesh and the spirit or the ways of man, the lies of the world, and the spirit of God and truth. And there's this war that starts, but 
a lot of the time, we don't know that. Right when we get saved, we're not familiar that that's happened. That's a bad way to say that, but I wanted to point out, you have everything that they believed before, everything that we believed before we were saved is still there. The moment that we trust Christ for salvation, all the habits that we had, all the, the, our sinful pasts, our lives, everything that we believe, how we view the world, that hasn't changed. That's the same. So, the question of, of discipleship is, what does it look like to move forward from this point? Once someone's saved, how do they grow? How do they learn? How do they look at, take this gospel message and move it into their lives and make it the foundation of everything? I mean, that has to happen to some extent to get saved in the first place. But what does it look like? What does it look like? That's discipleship, is coming alongside people. One thing I want to point out here is I have seen discipleship done poorly in a lot of places that I've been in America. And a lot of times I've heard people say, okay, now you're saved. Now, now you've be- trusted Christ for salvation. Now just come to church. Just come to church. And almost putting it all off on the pastor putting it all up on the pastor to bring this guy, to grow this guy in his faith. This, I say guy, but guy or lady. And going to church is good. Going to church is essential. They must be fellowshipping with the body, coming to church. But at the same time, if they don't have that personal connection, if they don't have that person mentoring them, discipling them, leading them, helping them grow in truth, then they're just going to be trying to figure out this thing called church, this thing called the Christian life. And it's a daunting thing. I mean, I I know people, uh, not at this church, at different churches that have been going to church 10 years, 20 years, and that's basically what happened. They got saved, they started going to church, and they're trying to figure out what the pastor's saying. It probably takes these guys five years to even figure out what's the pastor saying here. What's he trying to communicate? That shouldn't happen. Man, we should have, whenever someone gets saved, whenever someone's new in the faith, even our, like, thinking of our kids, like, come alongside them and help them grow and teach them, raise them up in the ways of the Lord. And yes, coming to church is part of that, but that's not all, that's not it. It's at home, living out the gospel every day. So, as pastor said a minute ago this is a cycle like when this is when this is done in a healthy way this is a cycle you have evangelism people getting saved and then it comes back people are getting discipled people are growing in the truth and people are realizing i have this truth i have this truth in my life and now i want to share that with other people and it's a cycle it's it's multiplying christ-like disciples like we say that And that's the goal in discipleship. So, maturity is the end goal. Man, it really doesn't take us far to look. If we, going through the New Testament, look at Jesus' example. He's pouring his life into these 12 guys for three years. He's just, yeah, he's talking to the crowds. Yes, he's healing people. He's doing miracles. He's doing all this stuff. But whenever he has downtime, 
he's prioritizing these 12 guys and just pouring his life into these guys and making disciples. And then after Jesus ascends, after Jesus is gone, look at Paul's example. Paul's going around, he's planting churches in the book of Acts. He's going on these missionary journeys and he's spending a month or weeks or a year or multiple years in these different locations and planting churches. But he doesn't just leave that location. He doesn't just leave the church in Ephesus or the church in Corinth, the church in Galatia, and let them figure it out on their own, give them the gospel message and leave. No, he's writing letters back. And this is how we have the epistles. So we recognize he cares deeply for these guys' spiritual growth, for their spiritual lives, for their moving towards Christ's likeness. Again, I don't want to talk too long about the elephant in the room. Hopefully, like this is why we're here today. <laughs> come to Sunday school. Come to church to fellowship as believers, to worship God, and also to grow, to grow in our knowledge of the Lord and to grow deeper in that relationship, to learn what our lives should look like in relation to him. So, this is, a, this is just one verse. There's lots of verses. In Colossians there, Paul says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Look at the first, the first verse there, or the first line of the verse. You have, we're proclaiming, proclaiming the gospel, evangelizing, and warning everyone, everyone, teaching everyone, moving forward from evangelism. You're teaching, teaching everyone doing it with wisdom. And then the end goal that we may present everyone mature in Christ on that glorious day when Christ comes back or when we give up our lives and go to be with Jesus. The goal is maturity, to be like Christ at that time and aligning our lives now with Christ's life. So as we look at discipleship, this is the end goal. This is the goal moving toward maturity. Hopefully that's why we're all here. I d again, don't mean to talk about the elephant in the room too much. Here's a few points about discipleship. And we talked about this last week when we looked at evangelism and making it a priority. Like, we have very busy lives. Our, our lives are full of work and school and family and jobs, and careers, hobbies, and where's the time to do this? We got to carve it out. We got to make it. We got to make this a priority in our lives. And man, take the initiative. Take the initiative to talk to people, to be vulnerable, to be open. We talked about this a bit last week, and it's the same when we get to talking about discipleship. Putting in the time, I just think, just think back to my time this last year, uh, discipling this man, and just what a joy that is. But it costs a lot of time. I have almost every Tuesday, and Thursday for that matter, I'd have a couple hours of homework. I'd get back at 10 at night, and usually have an hour, two hours, sometimes three hours of homework. One gets to bed until midnight or one in the morning, and honestly, I'd love to stay home, do my homework, and then 
watch a movie with Andrea and go to bed at a decent hour. But this man, this man's life would not have been impacted in that way if I had done that. It cost us time. It causes a, it, we need to go out of our comfort zone to, get, to make Christ-like disciples. We don't want to just be freewheeling and just letting things fall where they will. Takes taking initiative. Humbly be an example. We looked at this slide yesterday, or yesterday, last week. Like, what does it look like to have a testimony? Like, we talk about the one aspect, the visible testimony and the story. Like, telling people our story, sharing our story when we looked at evangelism. Saying you had an opportunity to lead someone to Christ. Hopefully, during that stage of evangelism, you're developing this openness, this vulnerability. Like, I think all of us as Americans can learn to do that better, to be more vulnerable. To We talk about breaking out of our bubble, breaking into other people's bubbles. And hopefully the atmosphere of vulnerability is created early on so that when we move into discipleship, after someone's saved, we're walking them through what it means to be a Christian, what it means to grow and become more like Christ, grow in the truth. Hopefully that atmosphere of just vulnerability is created. We don't want to look like someone who has it all together. We don't want to reflect that the Christian life is hiding behind all of these fears and like every flaw in our life it's so easy to just hide from people but I mean this, those flaws are the very witness of Christ to people and, and when you have discipleship taking place, when you're, whether it's with your kids, maybe even with your spouse or maybe with a family member or someone from work like creating this atmosphere of vulnerability and showing that I don't have it all together I think that is absolutely key. So that I, I just think of my own experience this last year with that. Like from day one with this man, I'm just telling him about the struggles I'm having in my life and being open with him about issues with marriage. Like Andrew and I like just had a fight, we're talking about this. And man, I could use prayer for this could use prayer in this area of my life. My schedule's busy. I could use prayer with this. And, and man, when it got to a point where we're go, we went through Romans, we went through the book of Romans, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and just walked through that. When we got to these passages that start talking about sin, start talking about what the Christian life looks like, this man was ready to open up and just talk about, to be vulnerable with me and to talk about and pray about the issues that he had in his life. And man, if I would have just shut down and never let my vulnerability show through, never let the issues that I had show, this man would have been closed off too. And man, it is so key to be vulnerable and live that witness all the time with our families, with our coworkers, in every, in every area of life to live above reproach, to live a life that is reflecting Christ. I mean, none of us do this perfectly, not even close to perfectly. If we, 
if we did the, all of this, all, just those few points up on the screen, halfway well, he would stand out like sore thumbs. And that's, that's a scary thing to say. But, man, this is what we're shooting for as disciples and as people. Let's go to the next point. Man, being willing to put in the time means studying. And while discipleship is just living life with people, it's coming alongside someone and going through life, hammering it out, figuring out what this thing called life looks like, what this thing called the Christian life looks like. The meat of discipleship is still getting in the word and building that truth, deepening that truth, going deeper into the word. So, as we look at what it looks like to go deeper in our faith, personally, and then hopefully with other people, like, we got to be learning. We got to be going deeper in our own lives. And I make that point, you, you can't take someone to a point you haven't been yourself. Like, if you don't know how to teach someone the word of God, like, they're not going to be able to, to grow from that. And so that's going to take effort. That's going to be making a priority to, to study. And for, for those of us who have had the opportunity to, to teach, as most of you probably have taught sometime in the past, whether it's just teaching your kids or teaching, it's, it's such a joy to see, to teach people. But more than that, you have to know your material well. You have to know what you're going to say before you say it. And you even see that with me standing up here right now. Like, you see whether I prepared enough or not. And you have to be ready to, ready to do that. So, these are just a few ideas that I had. Like, I mentioned that we went through Romans. Yeah, I think I had more to say here, but I'm blanking. I think I hit all the bullet points I had. Anyways, we went through Romans. Romans is amazing. If you want to go through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And man, it's, it's not like a one-sided thing either. When I had the opportunity to go through this with this man, go through Romans, a lot of days I walked away feeling like I learned more than he did as we're going through and we're discussing things. It's, it's just, it's, it's really cool to see what a young believer thinks and the questions that they ask about things. You're like, huh, I never thought about it like that. It's amazing. And it's, it's just, it's a re refreshing to have that new perspective and to, to just be in the word, like doing this in, not in place of devotions, but as a supplement to devotions, walking through the word together. And in our families, like if you have kids, if you even have older kids, like, or maybe even with your spouse, to do a study. Like, this is so beneficial to figure this thing out together. And yes, doing personal devotions is awesome. And looking at the, the word alone in your quiet time and praying to God and studying the word through prayer and with prayer and with the, with the spirit is awesome. But at the, at the same time, doing that with someone else as well is just, I, I don't think I could express the joy that that is and also 
the benefit that that is to go through the word with people, with someone else. Those are just a few ideas. Ecclesiastes, the reason I put that in there is, man, I think every one of us could use a good dose of Ecclesiastes every now and then just to help us refocus our lives and put our lives into perspective. Man, the first time I was with this guy, we were talking, and he asked, wow, what what should I read first? I'm like, man, just read Ecclesiastes. And so over the next two weeks, he read Ecclesiastes. And man, the second week, he just came back to me, and he's like, wow, I have a whole new perspective on life now. And like, that was an amazing starting point. As we're going through Romans, he's still referencing back to stuff from Ecclesiastes. Like, oh, that makes sense, because, you know what, this is what my life is. This is my relationship to God. This is my relationship to the rest of the world, to my job, to my career, to my house, to my family. Like, anyways, I could go off on that for a while, but Ecclesiastes, just read Ecclesiastes and be familiar with it. So when you have an opportunity to disciple someone, even your kids, yeah, point them in this direction. What do you guys make of this slide? Anyone have any ideas? (laughs) Live in the middle. Any ideas? (laughs) Well, my intention with this slide is living in the middle. If you're the person in the middle, whether you're a guy or a girl, you're in the middle there. And yes, you want to have someone who's younger in the faith that you're discipling. But at the same time, optimally, you should have someone that's pouring into you, that's mentoring you, that's pouring into your life. So live in the middle. Have someone that you're discipling, that you're helping mature in the faith. And at the same time, have someone that's pouring into your life too. And you know what? A lot of times, this doesn't happen for us. Again, it takes going out of our way, reprioritizing, restructuring our lives to cause this to happen, to put ourselves in places and to make time to build these relationships and to go deeper in our walk with the Lord. Yes, you can can go deeper on your own in personal study and just figuring it out on your own, but man, to just have that iron sharpening iron, that grinding away with another person, I would even encourage everyone here today, pick someone out. Think of someone in your life that you would desire to have mentor you. Someone who you see as a pillar in the faith. Someone who's more mature. Someone who's maybe went through a lot more life experience than you. And went through the Christian life, been doing this for a long time. And yeah, just come up to and say, hey, I would love to have you, have your input in my life. And and at the same time, maybe find someone who you can take under your wing, maybe right here in church, or maybe they don't go to church, maybe they're a believer somewhere else, or maybe it's someone who you are going to build that relationship with and hopefully lead them to Christ with the intention of going all the way, living this thing called life with them, and grinding it out, figuring, figuring out what it means to be a Christian alongside of them. And again, 
something I want to point out here is just because you're mentoring someone else doesn't mean that they're not going to help you grow. Like, it's not like you're just, it's, a one, it's not a one-sided thing. You're not just pouring into them. If you've ever done this, even with your own kids, you can learn so much just from interacting with these guys, with, with this person, and pouring your life into theirs. And just the kickbacks. I, I have so much I want to say here. This is the last slide about discipleship, kind of short and sweet. Prayer. We talked about this in evangelism last week. Prayer needs to be the foundation of everything. Man, we as a church do really well at prayer, I think. I think we are always sharing in each other's lives. We're praying for each other. We're hearing this person's going to the hospital. This person needs prayer for this. That's amazing. We meet on Wednesday nights and pray for each other, share in each other's lives. And that needs to be the foundation of evangelism as well as discipleship, just praying for people. I think of my time as I'm driving. I have to drive about 20 minutes to meet with this guy every, well, twice a week, so Tuesdays and Thursdays. And usually Thursdays I would be with other people driving. Tuesdays it would be just me driving. And I'm driving there and I'm praying. I'm praying. I try to pray for at least half the time, just praying for him, for his situation. And then most of the time I'm driving back and, and I'm in tears. Over half the time, I don't know if you can picture me crying, but I cry. I cry a lot. And just in being in tears over what God is doing in his life and what God's doing in my life through him. And sometimes they're tears of joy. Sometimes they're tears of sorrow and just pleading with God to work in his life and I'm not seeing growth or maybe I've seen this growth in this way and it's, it's amazing. But just prayer. Prayer needs to be the foundation. Man, trusting the Spirit to bring growth. Last year, this last year of discipling this guy, I've, I started out, I'm trying to do this thing on my own. I'm trying to cause growth to happen in this guy's life and man I'm only 23 I've, I don't have a lot of life experience behind me and then when it comes to discipleship I have even less and I'm teaching this guy this word I'm like okay what's going to happen now that he knows this and this and this isn't he going to start acting like this isn't this going to happen in his life no there was a long time where actually for a couple months where I was just pleading with God, like, why am I not seeing growth? Why is stuff not happening? And it was hard. When I was putting the pressure on myself to make him grow, to bring him to maturity in Christ, then I was missing the point. I was putting all that pressure, the work that God is doing in his heart, and I was putting that on my shoulders. So, trust in the Spirit to bring growth. Recognize like, if you've ever led someone to Christ, if you've ever shared the gospel with them and had them trust in Jesus, just the littlest part that we have in that brings us the deepest joy. Like, it's absolutely mind-blowing to see when you've led someone to Christ, just to see what God is doing in their life. And, and that is the key right there. I think the reason that this is so joyful, and I have in big letters there, this is a tremendous joy man, I, my perspective on 
the Christian life, the Christian walk. And I mentioned this last week, but my perspective has changed radically over the last year, over the last two years. And just, I saw Christianity as a set of rules, as, as a true set of rules, like this is true. Jesus is who he said he was. But I didn't see it as life itself. And when the gospel message is seen in that way, it is the most joyful thing. And then to be able to share that with other people, to share that with guys and girls who desperately need that same life that you have, it's just like you, that joy that you get when you lead someone to Christ, but times 10, it's just happening all the time. It's just, I, I can't even describe how joyful that is. Like, as I said, I'm, I'm driving back and I'm just in tears and especially toward the end of our time together this last year. Like, I'd be driving home and I'd just be crying. I'd have tears dripping off my chin, thanking the Lord for what he's doing in this guy's life. This guy, his, he had a really, really difficult home life and just on drugs, all kinds of issues. Like, issues beyond anything that we could probably imagine doing drugs for 20 or more years and completely addicted. Multiple marriages. Kids that are out of the picture. And, like, when we started talking together, like, he couldn't even have a civil conversation with his wife. And by the end of our time together, he's, they're talking every day on the phone. They're praying together. They're studying the word together over the phone because she's at a different location. They can't be together. But just to see what God did in this man's life, it's, it's a miracle. And it's not through what I did. And I don't want to put myself up here like I have it figured out. But just to see what the Lord did in this man's life and in growing him and, and teaching him truth in a supernatural way that I'm just, we're going through Romans verse by verse and he's just picking up on these truths and watching the Spirit bring fruit through the word is just such a miracle goodness. Like, I want every one of you here, every one of us to experience this. This isn't just something for pastors, something for missionaries, something for people who are involved in ministry, but this needs to be something that we all are doing. And, and man, it's, it's the most joyful thing. It is so joyful. We do have some time. I wanted to go through a Bible verse. Um, was put in there. I, it was cool as I was putting this together this week. I, I was going to go through Romans 15 and realized I didn't have enough time to go through that in the way I wanted to. So, if you guys remember, at the end of last week's lesson, we I talked about the jars of clay, and you're, if you remember that, just talk about all those cracks as we're fragile jars of clay and then allowing Christ to flow through our imperfections and th flow through our flaws. And what's so cool is what God did as I'm looking for another verse, another passage to go through. I found uh, 2 Corinthians 4 and I'm like, oh, 2 Corinthians 4 would be great. I had forgotten where the jars of clay passage was. I knew it was in 2 Corinthians somewhere, but I wasn't looking for it at all. And I'm like, wow, this is great. And I start reading, and then it goes, flows right into the jars of clay. And it's like, wow. 
it's totally has to be God leading in that way. So let's just read this. And as I read it, I want to I want to talk about it as we go through. So I'm not going to read it straight through. Feel free to flip there. If you have a Bible, yeah, flip there now. Because okay, we're going to, there's two slides worth. It's seven verses, so. And while you're flipping there. Yeah, I'll just start. And it reads, as, this is Paul saying, I guess I'll, I'll give a little background. This is, 2 Corinthians, it's the third letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and he's had different issues from in 1 Corinthians and in the second letter that he wrote that we don't have. There's a lot of issues with the church in Corinth, and there's a lot of reproof in this letter, a lot of things where Paul's saying, guys, you need to get back in line this way, but at the same time, he's encouraging them too. There's a lot of encouragement as well in the book. So let's start reading. And if you're there in your Bible, it reads, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeking the light of the gospel, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Man, this is important for us to recognize recognizes we're looking we're talking the first week about the exclusivity of the gospel and and then last week what it looks like to bring the gospel message to an unbeliever like to recognize this is a war as pastor spencer said like this is this is not going to be something that goes easily and recognizing that we have an adversary who's blinding the minds of unbelievers and is actively deceiving i mean it doesn't take a lot of us looking around in our culture to recognize that there's a lot of lies out there and a lot of lies bombarding us every day. And the root of a lot of that is the devil blinding people's minds. So, to continue on, verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, and let light shine out of darkness in creation. He's, God was the one who created. He's the one who called light out of darkness. And he is also, not, he didn't just create all of us and create all the world, but he has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then, it's, it's God who's, given us this hope. I mean, I don't want to emphasize and talk a whole lot about election or predestination, but it is God, as we've been recognizing all throughout, it's God working in the heart. It's God opening the eyes, cutting away that blindness. And this is where we start talking about jars of clay. So, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And, and as I read this, I'm just thinking of my time discipling. Like, 
It's, it, it is draining. It beats you down. It, it grinds you into the ground. You might feel like life does that. But all the more is when you're being vulnerable, when you're getting, putting yourself out there to engage with people. Like You're going to be ground, down, ground into the floor, bashed around, just beat up, persecuted, ridiculed. People, are, people will mock you. People will make fun of you for what you believe in. And what he's saying here is all of these things might be true, but even though, we could read that again, even though we're afflicted, we're not crushed. Even though we're perplexed, you might be perplexed at what it looks like to share the gospel. As we're talking about evangelism, as we're talking about discipleship, like if we feel like we're adequate and we have it all together, then you might want to have a reality check. If, you, if, you, if I'm talking about this stuff and you're like, you know what, I got that. I got that. I got that figured out. I know how to disciple people. I know how to do evangelism. I think a better attitude would, to have would be, God, I need you in this process. I need you to be working in this person's life. I need you to be working in my life to be able to even talk in an intelligible way, to share the truth with this person. So, again, we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. I mean, driven to despair. That's, that's something that might happen every day in life for you. But as I was doing evangelism and as I was discipling this man, like I was driven to despair almost daily. But again, it, w- it was because I wasn't resting in the Lord to bring the growth. I wasn't resting in God. And man, he's not going to let us be ground into the floor. He's not going to let us be driven to despair. For he will be there in the despair if that takes place. So, persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. And then we'll get to verse 10. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. And man, isn't that just the heart of evangelism, the heart of discipleship, the heart of life itself is us in our lives carrying the death of Christ, carrying the message of the death of Christ, the gospel message in our bodies and allowing that to show through. And again, it's very apparent in that verse. So that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. Like, that's the goal. That people would, when they see us, when they think about us, they would see the life of Christ. And that's, that's the heart of what we're looking at. I have one other cool slide. At least I think it's a cool slide. Uh, it took me a little while to put it together. This is the last slide today. Are you engaged or are you disengaged? Man, as we're talking about all this stuff, are you a gear that's in this machine of the body of Christ that's actively turning all these other gears? And if you've seen anything like that, like with all the gears turning, it's just a miracle. And it's so cool how all the gears are, this gear turned this little gear over here, and all the gears are different shapes and sizes. They're spinning at different speeds. They're doing different things. They have different functions in the machine. But when they're all working together, amazing things can be accomplished. But at the same time, there's a potential for us to just freewheel, to just not put in the effort and to just 
he disengaged. So I want to ask the question, are we disengaged in our lives? Are we disengaged from the lost around us? The last thing I wanted to say was, as we look at those maps, we looked at maps of the world and all the unreached people, all the lost people all over. As we look at this map, as we think of all of the lost people all around the world and all the lost people right here in our community, what will it take to make our hearts break for these people? For the people all around us in this community and for the people around the world, do we need to catch a glimpse into the depths of the horrors of hell? Or do we need to catch a glimpse of what heaven is like to make our hearts break? What needs to happen? What needs to happen? Because we look at the scripture and this is what we see. This is what we see. We see Paul's heart breaking for people. And man, I want all of our hearts to break in that way that we care so deeply for everyone around the world who does not have the gospel.